Welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, like the majority of the Bundesliga, actually, we are undecided. Should we really hand it to the two teams who actually managed to win this weekend, or should we zoom in on the 12 and counting who ended their games drawn, or as the Germans say, unentschieden, which means literally undecided. Um, with me is Nick Wildhagen. Um, maybe you can help me make up my mind. <laughs> well, uh, you know, let me tell you something about my weekend that has nothing to do with football, and it's about a parking ticket. Eee. Because that has caused me to, to rethink my life, and I'm sort of about to start a new age rebellion of anarchy. I'm intoxicated with injustice of law. I'll practice subversive dirty needs and no acts of grace. Stand up and fight against those bastards from Europe parks to Vanger. I hate you guys. You know, I was paying for my parking as they wrote that bloody parking ticket. Those bastards. And you know what the worst thing about it is? And I really have to say this quite clearly. I wanted to write a scathing email about this injustice. <laughs> Ooh, bringing out the big guns. Yeah. They limit you to 500 signs. Woo! <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's probably going to go bleep. I would um, prefer that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean that that really that really that really made me mad. But uh, in terms of the football, uh, yeah, let's let's talk let's talk about you know top of the table stuff and uh, you know do a drizzle of uh, down the table stuff as well. All right. Well, then we are decided. We're going to talk about late drama for teams in trouble. We're going to be talking about the teams who who sort of did manage to get good results. We're going to talk about a little bit of a, uh, you know, public health and uh, Bayern kerfuffle. And yeah, we are going to talk about draws and draws and draws and draws and draws. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 21. So, you know, we are now fully of age. We are drinking in the streets. Everything is available to us. But it was kind of a bit of a downer, I have to say. <laughs> if you're looking for the best, you were unlikely to find it in Saturday's matches. We had five games on Saturday. We had five draws on the day, enough to make us, uh, you know, just want to turn our attention to Sunday's game uh, to start the show. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to skip ahead to Sunday's games. Saturday was so thoroughly indecisive, but, you know, like so often in recent weeks, we've seen the Eagles of Eintracht Frankfurt just swooping in, changing the mood completely, you know. They, they put two goals past SFC Köln. They lifted themselves up into third place. It was a 2-0 win for them at home. Andre Silva and Evan Indica uh, each got a goal in the second half. Nick, if we're being honest here, the long wait for Frankfurt to score, it took them almost an hour to get on the scoreboard. That was about as suspenseful as this game got, right? Yeah, I mean, if you had a look at my notes, that I, you know, at, at the bottom I wrote that the only thing Adi Hütte can be really unhappy about is the fact that it took Frankfurt that long to score. I mean, at the point where they were scoring, they should have been up by two or three goals already. Their inefficiency in front of goal was probably the worst thing of their performance. Other than that, they just steamrolled over Köln, and uh, I think it was the kicker, uh, you know, when I was actually at a family function uh, for, for some part of this match, and I was sort of reading the kicker, uh, live ticker, after the first half, where it said, Cologne, 
not happening in attack and that sort of summed up what cologne was doing and uh you know when you when you produce an xg of uh a whopping 0.55 it just goes to tell a story of how ineffective you've been in front of goal and how little you've produced all match long and uh as for frankfurt hey undefeated in uh 10 matches now, 8 wins, 2 draws. For them, it's all about, it's going to be about the next few weeks in terms of the Champions League qualification because they have Bayern coming up next weekend. Uh, then they have Werder and Stuttgart wedged in between the Bayern match and a match against RB Leipzig. And two weeks after that again, they have Borussia Dortmund. So those six matches, if they get anything above nine points, oh, happy days. I'd suggest. Yeah, well, I'm going to put it this way. I mean, you 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 laid out four, or I guess five opponents there. I, I suppose there is one more between the old uh, Leipzig and Dortmund. Uh, well, you know, okay, yeah. So I'm looking at those games, and I really think that they should be getting – they should – nine is a bare minimum in my mind. I mean, Werder, Stuttgart, and Union should be teams who Eintracht are capable of being right now. I really think the way that things are going this season for, for Dortmund, that that should be another three points that they, you know, you can't assume you're going to make those points up. But I really think that if they, you know, get less than 12 points out of that uh, stretch, they are probably underselling themselves a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if they get those three wins that they should get, plus maybe win against Dortmund, they'll probably jam the knife deep down into Dortmund's throat and end the chance of the Champions League qualification once and for all and um, you know I've, I've I've been thinking about Dortmund quite a lot this week and we'll get to that later in the show but um, yeah uh, for them you should take that in what Fra- Frankfurt are doing currently because what that team and the club management has been doing is been so right over, over the course of the last couple of seasons that it is really astonishing to behold yeah, it's it's interesting. You brought up the idea that um, you know, in that Frankfurt now have a six point lead over Dortmund, and you know, <laughs> who knows what kind of a lead that's going to be, you know, six weeks from now when they actually take on Dortmund. But the chance is there for them to sort of um, make a decisive blow against uh, a, a member of the chasing pack. But I'm also interested in in what's going on above them. I mean, they're they're five points back from Leipzig and they're nine points back of Bayern. I certainly don't expect them to overhaul those two teams, but I really think that they're in the kind of form where I would not be shocked to see them beat either of those teams. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's super hard to 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 come out of a run of of six matches with 18 points, and if you do that. Anything is possible. Yeah. But, I mean, you if, know. if they win the next six matches on the bounce, I, I'll tell you, uh, they, they'd probably be crowned champions at the end of the season. Yep, I was about to say. But, um, yeah, I, I don't see that happening. So, you know, hold your Apple boy just just yet. Um, don't, don't, don't pop the celebratory Apple wine. But, yeah, I mean, uh, for them, it's sort of been um, a case, as we mentioned a few weeks earlier, of um, them, you know, not, not starting well enough in attack because if you look at the xg they actually i think the xg points table show that they should be above Bayern in the table in terms of points uh, and a lot of teams should actually be above Bayern in the table according to the xg points table i mean that doesn't only include frankfurt that also includes borussia dortmund, dortmund yeah and leipzig i mean if you look at the xg point table it, it's brasenbosch uh, Leipzig in first, Dortmund in second, and Frankfurt in third. And 
Bayern all the way in fourth. And and the surprising thing here is that Bayern have already taken 11 points more than he could have expected of them, which is uh, a massive, massive overperformance. While all of these other three teams above them have taken a lot fewer points, especially Dortmund, who've taken eight points fewer than they should have. Yeah, one thing that comes to mind uh, when, when talking about some of these teams uh, up near the top of the table, uh, both the ones who are... are perhaps overperforming their expectation uh, and and underperforming is that the two teams who are sort of the darlings right now and I think we'll be talking about um, you know Wolfsburg in in due course these are teams whose uh, you know either didn't have any european adventure or one it ended prematurely um you know, Wolfsburg are still alive in, in the DFB Pokal, uh, but, you know, Frankfurt have, have bowed out there. This is, uh, it's an interesting constellation with these two teams who are really rounding into form, uh, at, at a good part of the season who don't have a lot of other things going on besides getting ready to play on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, definitely an advantage, but, um. Or, you know, a Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's definitely an advantage in the sense that, um, especially in this season uh, where teams are financially looking at a sort of a model where they can get rid of as you know most of their unnecessary players that are just there to provide depth depth that you actually do need under normal circumstances if you want to make a deep run into cup competitions they want to get rid of that because they don't have the money to pay for that because sponsorship uh, ticketing all of that not really happening at the moment additionally the calendar for those teams that are playing in European and Cup competitions is jam-packed. I mean, just to give you an example, the Bielefeld-Werder game was... Um, that was postponed last week because of the immense amounts of snow that did fall in uh, in North Rhine-Westfalen. And, uh, you know, they had to look all the way to, I think, the beginning of March to find a replacement for that match. I mean, it wasn't sort of like a straightforward process. Okay, we do it next week or something. It took some really, a lot of consideration, a lot of time to get that match scheduled. And that shows you how much is going on in those teams uh, right now. Because they're basically playing every week and oftentimes they're playing twice a week. And it's obviously taking a toll on some of those sides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's let's move on and do talk uh, about Wolfsburg, who were the other team up at the very you know top four level in action on Sunday. They did not manage to get a win. It was a, a nil-nil draw between them and Borussia Mönchengladbach on, on the on the afternoon. Less goals, for sure, than, than Frankfurt Cologne. But um, I, I thought that, at least from a neutral's perspective, this was a, there was a more drama in this game, for sure. I mean, both of these teams, I think, really set out with with the objective of, of neutralizing each other, and it kind of showed on the day. I mean, I think both of them were held to well under one uh, expected goal on the day, which, you know, is not exactly pure entertainment for those of us who, who like attacking football. But there was an appealing kind of knife-edge quality to this game, especially in, in the last, you know, 20 minutes or so. We've talked so much about Eintracht Frankfurt and about Wolfsburg in recent weeks, but it's it's hard to avoid. I mean, Wolfsburg, are, they keep putting in these really controlled performances where, you know, they play against good teams, they play against not-so-good teams. Everybody kind of looks the same against Wolfsburg, which is to say totally blunted and 
like incapable of creating clear cut chances. I guess there's a reason why they keep showing up in, in the best section in our show. Yeah, I mean, Cone Castile's their keeper's actually uh, closing on, on, getting close to 500 minutes since his last considered goal. And I don't think that he's had too many really, really big saves in those 500 minutes. At least I can't remember, but like seven or eight or nine big saves. Maybe there have been a couple, but you know, those 500 minutes have pretty much been Wolfsburg controlling matches and the Wolfsburg playing well and Wolfsburg grinding down opponents. And in some cases, like uh, the other week when they, when Rita Baku scored and they, they, they won uh, 3-0 against Augsburg, it was sort of like a really controlled performance that, you know, built from, from stable defense and then was, you know, supplied by the fact that they have these brilliant players that can shine and attack. And, uh, you know, in this match, it was most likely always going to be Wout Weghorst, who was going to be the man who might bring a little bit of magic. As the players who were playing behind Weghorst had scored 13 goals, or 10 of them had scored 13 goals combined. Weghorst has scored a total of 14 goals by himself so far this season and uh, Dapper obviously managed to control Vekos for most of the 90 minutes um, but as the XG showed I think the XG was 60 no 0.64 to 0.66 neither side really as you said produced an awful lot of chances that should be turned into goals really well I mean as we've mentioned, we have talked a lot about Wolfsburg and about Eintracht over the last few weeks. And I don't want to dwell on a nil-nil draw, but looking at things from the Gladbach perspective, you know, I feel like this has been a funny season for them because they have spent almost the entire year just somewhat under expectations. Like, I think that their sort of like level in the table has been somewhere between fourth and eighth. I feel like since forever. Like, you know, fourth is where they want to be. That's kind of where close to where they were last year. That's in the Champions League places. And, uh, you know, seventh where they are now, or eighth or ninth where they've, you know, been when, when things have not been looking good, is not acceptable, especially if you want to hang on to somebody like Marco Rosa. I mean, there's been some, some chatter this week from, from Max Abel, their sporting director, saying that he, he thinks, you know, 95% that he's going to stay and he thinks that the, the press have, you know, acted in a somewhat disrespectful manner to be dwelling on this topic as persistently as they have. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding, man. Like if, if they don't make it, you know, back into Europe, at the very least, why wouldn't he leave? <laughs> yeah, but would he leave to Dortmund where he gets to play Europa League football or would he join a Champions League side? For sure. I, no, I, I think that there's that, that bit of, of sort of, of frisson is definitely in there. But, you know, to make a case for yourself or make a case for the potential in a club, you really need to be living up to that potential. And, and I don't think that Gladbach are having you know, a super problematic time of it right now. But they've got a lot of ground to make up if they want to sort of get I mean, what is it, six points now, just like Dortmund. They they're they're six points back of, of Wolfsburg. And just watching them play against Wolfsburg, I mean they they earned a nil-nil draw, but I definitely saw Wolfsburg as having the better of this game. I definitely certainly in the in the closing stages, they were the ones who who went close, you know, 
a couple of times and not Gladbach, I don't see them as as being on the same steady course as as the two, you know, star student teams that we can't stop talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I mean, they are sort of they've been an odd team to follow this season because one week they can put in like uh, that three two win against Bayern where they actually come back after being two 0 under being 2-0 down and, you know, being the first team that's won against Bayern in over a decade after falling behind by two goals. And then they go on and lose against their arch-rival Cologne a few weeks later. And uh, it's been topsy-turvy, to say the least. Oh, they were so unfortunate to lose that game against Cologne. So, I mean... Yeah, it, yeah, it, as, it, as we talked about, you know, I mean... It could... <laughs> Most people are unfortunate to lose against Cologne. Yes, yes, agreed. I mean, but, you know, as we talked about, it, it was the sort of mistakes that you couldn't plan for as a coach. It was the sort of mistakes that you don't necessarily see from your players on a regular basis, but yet they did them, they lost. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding because uh, Gladbach are six points behind the Champions League places and um, as for the form of Wolfsburg and Eintracht and Leipzig you don't necessarily see any of these sides slipping up at the moment do you? No no and and since you just mentioned Leipzig I think we should talk about their result from the weekend this is one of the ones you know one of the <laughs> one of the two teams uh, thus far who has actually earned a win congratulations Red Bulls Rasenball um, you mean <laughs> Hey, but you know their nickname. People call them die Roten Bullen all the time. So I'm, 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 I'm well within my rights to go ahead and pluralize, anglicize. Yeah, they're, they're the Red Bulls. Oh, I see what I see. What you did there, Touche. <laughs> yeah, but it, I don't want to. I don't want to heap too much praise on them. And this was it was a two one win at home against Augsburg. And if anything, this was a game that that had a real uh, threat of getting out of control on them. I mean, it, it took them until the latter stages of the first half to actually get those two goals. Uh, I guess notably with that uh, second times a charm uh, penalty situation from Donny Olmo after, uh, you know, Rafael Kikowitz, um, you know, came off his line a little too quickly. But in the latter stages of this, of this game, when, you know, Augsburg got that penalty of their own and got to uh, – you know, got on the board. And then in the, the, the very dying moments with that, there's that bizarre scrum in the box. This could very easily have been a result that, that slipped out of their fingers. I would have thought, I mean, this, this is the team that, that has the best defense in the league. They are really good at sort of stopping other teams from, from scoring, from getting good chances. Weird to see them have this, you know, not quite full, not, not, not quite punished this lapse, but it was definitely not a sort of steady, let's just get the points home and dry, lads, situation. It wasn't a vintage performance by Leipzig, no. I mean, after that penalty finally did go in and, you know, you know, I, I was actually watching that match with Terry DeFallon. We were watching, we were on Skype and watching it together and, um, you know, we both agreed that the rule of the keeper having to have at least one foot on the line is a bit silly. I mean, he's not that far off his he line. He was pretty is he? legit off his line. He was off his line. He was quite clearly off his line, but it wasn't. It wasn't two or three meters. It was, yeah, half a feet maybe. But yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of like I, I think that this rule of the keeper having to have at least one foot on his line is a bit silly because you know once you make that decision to jump, you can have your feet off the line pretty quickly, and it's um, you know I think you give you give an massive advantage to the to the to the penalty taker because it basically means that once 
you cannot jump before the penalty is executed. Which um, yeah, but but I I think I think the spirit of a penalty kick to me is basically we're going to give you a goal, and it's there's this small chance that's maybe you know what is it twenty five thirty percent or something like that that you're not going to get this goal because the the goalkeeper does something incredible or you you hit it wrong, but like. I am fully behind the idea that like a penalty kick should in most cases result in a goal. Yeah. Like I'm I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to make it hard for the keeper, yeah, I I I don't mind making it harder for the keeper. I'm kind of in two minds about that, but but you know, be that as it may, it's 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 a it's a it's sort of a little bit of a digression. But yeah, anyways, I think after that after that penalty kick, uh, we thought that okay, Leipzig are going to Runway three four nil winners get the match home and dry and and they didn't I mean they looked the superior side and uh, they looked like they were in complete control at two nil but then they had that silly mistake of you know Konate causing that penalty and it's sort of like what on earth are you doing man it's so unnecessary and it's um, yeah it's uh, it's really one of the silliest penalties you could give away and it really gifted. Augsburg a chance to get back into this match and they almost they almost got that draw as you said and um, yeah it's one of those strange matches but um, ends well I don't think you don't like is going to care too much and uh, hey what we haven't talked about so far is, is the fact that the man who made the most headlines during that match wasn't even on the pitch yep I think I know where you're going with this Nick I think you are, you know, somehow subliminally, subtly referencing Dio Upamecano Very subtly, and yeah, his yeah. future. He is apparently on his way to Bayern München. He's on his way. He's he's going very slowly. He's walking, uh, and it's he's he's taking his time. Signed a deal until twenty twenty six. Yeah, yeah. It's a, he's he's not only going there slowly, but he is going there for a long time. And and you know, I, I think from a career planning perspective, I completely understand why a player of his caliber would want to go to Bayern. I mean, not only is is Bayern the team who sort of you know is either going to win or going to be thereabouts in the Bundesliga uh, into <laughs> perpetuity, it seems like. But they pay well. It's it's a destination club. I mean, it's the kind of club where, you know, if you go there, chances are you can spend the rest of your career there. I mean, it's it's one of those clubs. Not many of those exist. If they come knocking and it sounds like you might have a good situation, I think, you know, into the future, we're looking at, uh, you know, maybe Zula, and Upamakano for the next uh, five, six years as their first choice center back pairing. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they needed a re- rejuvenation at the center back spot after David Alaba is set to leave. Jerome Boateng's contract is about to expire. He is 31, 32 by the end of the season. So yeah, they, they needed somebody younger and now they've got a guy that potentially could play there in that position for 10 years. And uh, as we've mentioned before on many occasions, he's world-class, complete package. So um, absolutely great, brilliant move by Bayern. And uh, once again, it makes that all the more likely that they're going to win the championship next season as well. Hooray! Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we want to take the, the, the extreme macro view, which is, you know, what does it mean for the Bundesliga? Uh, which I think is a, is a fair view to take, considering Bayern, you know, they've they, They've bought a few players from their direct rivals, uh, 
over the years. That case is sometimes overstated, but uh, it, it, it is a real thing. I am always torn in those situations when you get players who are really top drawer players like Ubumakano, where I feel like, do I want to see them go to Bayern? And keep them in the Bundesliga so I can keep watching them? Or do I want them to go to, you know, Barcelona or, uh, you know, Liverpool, where I'm much less likely to, to watch them? So I guess all in all, it disappoints me that he didn't stick around at Leipzig for a little longer because I think this team has potential to do more with, you know, some of the very best players they have. I mean, what's, what's, what's really disappointing is that he didn't join a big city club. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, there's, there's time. Maybe, maybe, maybe when he's like 32 and, and <laughs> hair tough. <laughs> 10 years from now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, let's leave that topic behind and talk about Borussia Dortmund. You say you have been thinking a lot about Dortmund. Everyone's been thinking a lot about Dortmund. I was just talking about Dortmund, oddly enough, on Clubhouse. That, What's that interesting Clubhouse? new audio social media. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a what's what is this thing. I even even having started using it a, a little bit, I'm still kind of at the stage of what is this. I just um you know I'm 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 at the stage where I'm getting my head around TikTok still. Uh, so um, oh my god, I've never downloaded that. I. I this, I can't this, do it. This came too early. This came too early for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm 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 getting so old. The world of technology is, is yeah, but it's evolving too quickly. It was pretty neat. It was pretty neat. Uh, Marie Schulterbockham, who we haven't had on the show uh, lately because she's been super super busy. She's uh, you know studying in in New York, doing all kinds of exciting things there, reporting on all kinds of exciting things. We're gonna have her on uh, before long. But we met up on Clubhouse and uh, we were talking about Dortmund. We were talking with uh, Derek Ray and Phil Bonney and, and all kinds of interesting people uh, about what's uh, what's ailing Borussia Dortmund. So why, you know, if, if, if you're ever wanting to, to talk about German football and you see me on there, uh, maybe we can we hook something up. Nick, I'll probably uh, give you one of my invites so we can maybe do some uh, talking foosball, uh, you know, chat things. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it may, maybe we can turn this into a, to an interesting thing because I, I certainly don't know how to use uh, Clubhouse very well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what it is. Apparently, you need to have an invite. Um, no, but when, com- when it comes to Dortmund, um, let me just, um, you know, I, I saw a post by the German author Dietrich Schulze-Murmeling on Facebook the other day, and he pointed out that Dortmund has averaged 1.6 points per match since uh, Favre left. And uh, when he left, the point to Bayern was six points. Now it's fifteen. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's, there's two directions there, though. You know, I mean, Bayern have have steadied the ship, and <laughs> Dortmund haven't. Uh, but before we we get too dug in here, let's just talk about the result real quick. It was a two-two draw between them and Hoffenheim. You probably know that if you care about Dortmund. Shouldn't be super shocking. Marvin hits with another. Shocking blunder, and as, as we, you know, some of the things we talked about last week, like the goalkeeping position and, and these things, that are still valid talking points. I think the only change of pace for Borussia Dortmund in in this match was actually that they had a lower xG than their opposition for once, and for once actually managed to get a point instead of you know losing or getting a draw with a much higher xG than the opponents, which uh, I think is nice. But um, yeah, I mean it's. Um, it's really shocking to see Borussia Dortmund not producing. You know, one, once they go one nil up, there seems to be something happening. Uh, they just wait to concede one or two silly goals. It's just something that Mats Hummels said after the match. You just don't have any confidence throughout the entire team. 
And yeah, when everybody feels uncomfortable and when everybody doesn't really feel comfortable on the pitch, yeah, you, you are going to concede some really crappy goals. And Marvin Hoods, he looks more and more like he doesn't want to be in between those two sticks. And that is a terrible thing for a goalkeeper to feel. Yeah, I, I don't know where else he, he has to go. I, I'm not really sure he has uh, the skills to play in midfield, uh, Nick. So if he's going to play, he's going to play between the sticks. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I figured that. But um, He could play up front. He has he has been known. He scored a goal from open play back when yeah, he was at Augsburg. Yeah, Augsburg days, so, days you know. against Leverkusen was a 2-2 <laughs> draw which he secured with a you know brilliant finish um yeah it's it's sort of like really it seems endemic the entire thing that you know you have those people yelling father rouse get rid of Lucien father he seems to be the problem of Borussia Dortmund and those were the same people who said you know when Peter Stöger was at the club well if we only had gotten Lucien father instead of Peter Bosch we would have won the championship already well you know what as it turns out, Dortmund have finished 19, 25, and 33 points behind Bayern. But those were actually in the years of Jurgen Klopp. The last three years, you said? Mm. And ever since, you would have to say that, you know, you've changed coaches quite continuously. You've had Peter Bosch, you've had Peter Stöger, you've had uh, uh, Favre, Terzic now. You know, you assume, you know, Chewing, chewing up coaches and spitting them out at a, at a pace that is starting to get quite alarming and uh, nothing seems to be changing. So if the coaches who are, by the way, they know the, they know football well, all of them. Yes, you might disagree with the way Peter Stöger is playing football, but he knows football well. But if none of them really can produce any of the results that Michael Sorg, Aki Vatsky, and the Borussia Dortmund fans want to see. I mean, Aki Vatsky spoke this season about, well, you know, we're getting closer and closer to winning the championship again. I think you have to take your eyes off the coaches and look at what Michael Sorg and Aki Vatsky have been doing and see maybe there's some room for improvement there. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have to say, I don't know if I'm, I'm right on this, but it's beginning to feel like for me that maybe the good work that they're doing securing the services of, you know, the very best uh, sort of shooting stars uh, across Europe, and, and that's been represented in various years by, you know, Erling Holland these days, Jaden Sancho, you know, Christian Pulisic and Osman Dembele before him, Gio Reyna at, at the moment. I mean, I think they're doing very good work at that level. But something tells me that the work that they're doing, securing the services of the sort of, not the players who are, you know, on their way up, looking at Dortmund as a sort of, you know, uh, 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 the next rung on their, their career ladder, but the guys who actually are coming to Dortmund to stay, I don't think that they're bringing maybe the right people in for that. I mean, I, I think certainly in past years... Dortmund have done better in, in, at sort of establishing a mix of players who are, are viewing them as a way station as opposed to a destination. But I think that, you know, in the Klopp and Tuchel eras, there were some guys who were just better fits at Dortmund than than what they have now in, in, the, in those roles. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And um, you have to wonder... Is there something about the selling and buying philosophy that needs to be slightly altered? I mean, it's not the sort of thing... I mean, my point here is that 
you should say, okay, now Vatska and Sork are the problems. Get rid of those <laughs> bastards. No, no. I mean, my point here is that what Borussia Dortmund now needs is, A, they need to settle on a coach who they think can take them into a long-term future, uh, who has the, a philosophy that fits the club well, and they should should sit down with the coach, Zorg, Vatske, analyze the mistakes of the past two or three years and move forward thinking, okay, we need to better point A, B, C and D and focus on that. And if they can work this out, results are going to improve and they are going to do better. But right now, I mean, as we've already said, clubs like Eintracht Frankfurt who have a lot less resources than Borussia Dortmund, even Wolfsburg, who have slightly fewer resources than Borussia Dortmund, they are outperforming Borussia Dortmund by quite some margin, and it uh, should re- really give, give uh, Aki Watzke and Michael Sorg something to think about. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Let's, let's cast our attention back to the Klopp glory days of uh, Borussia Dortmund. I, I understand that you have have been sort of digging into what what – one of those players from from that era uh, has been up to in the intervening decade. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of my favorite players from those uh, Klopp days was Kuba Blaszczykowski. So earlier last week, I spoke to Christopher Lash of the Polish football blog Right Bank Warsaw and asked him about Kuba and how he's been doing since he came back to Poland in February 2019. You can listen to the entire interview on our Patreon site. But for this episode, you'll join the interview right after I ask Christopher how Wisla Krakow, Kuba's current club, have fared so far this season. Yeah, I mean, they're not doing well this season. They haven't really done that well for a long long time really I mean I think the last time they were in, they were a really big team in the 2000s they were really the biggest team and then you know Legia Warsaw and other really the, 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 the biggest team they're, they've got the money and they're doing their best but but um, I think they won the last title if I'm not mistaken in 2011 and since then they I think the highest they finished was it might be 5th or 7th I'm not exactly sure but they've They've really become quite a. Um, I was going to do a comparison with German football, but I'm not sure. If, I'm not as, as sure about German football as I uh, as, as I, I was going to say Werder Bremen or something like that. But I might be completely wrong. Oh, my team. Werder <laughs> 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 were big, like in the nineties, weren't they? I can't. I don't know. So maybe that's yeah, nineties until until around 2010, and um, you know they used to qualify for the Champions League, and they did so um, many times on the bounce, and you know the the early 2000s. Comparison. It's not that bad. And, you know, they, they completely crushed out of it in uh, 2010, 2011, and they haven't been back since. And, uh, you know, last season they actually went all the way to the relegation playoff and, and saved their, saved their <laughs> place in the Bundesliga by the skin of their teeth. It's a, per- so, it's, a perfect, um, it's a perfect comparison. All right. <laughs> Apart from this, we were winning leagues, I think, whereas Verdell didn't win as many. But, the, um, but so basically they're, they're a big club in terms of they've got a big fan base, and all that, but but they they are not uh, doing that well on the pitch. And the coach they've got is German now, Peter Hibala. We've got a strange second name. It kind of looks very Hungarian second name, but but he's German and, and he's um, he just took charge. And they are apparently going to. He's very puts a lot of focus on fitness and and uh, might help Cuba. Although he's a bit past it now, Cuba, unfortunately. Although he's still good for the Polish league because the Polish league standard is a lot lower, right? So he's still able to when he does play. Although he does have a lot of injury problems, Kuba uh, still he, he does he, he's still very important for this one. I'm not sure how long he's going to be there for. 
in terms of how long he's actually going to play on the pitch. But but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're messy. I mean, on, on, on the weekend, they, the first match back after the break, winter break, they were winning 3-0 at half time, I think, and they lost 4-3 uh, at home. So they're a, a mess, really. But the good thing is for them is that this year, they're restructuring the league. So only one team goes down and they're, I'm pretty sure there was one worse team than them, so they'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but didn't, didn't Poland have some sort of playoff system for a while as well? I seem to remember. All... Well, they, they did a long time ago, but then because of corruption, they stopped it. Uh, but but they, but, they, but they're bringing it in now again. So they're doing a little bit like, it's not like, not like the German league, it's like more like the British league, the English leagues, with the, the playoffs in the second tier and the third tier. But uh, they're basically expanding the the top tier, the extra classer, to uh, be 18 teams. So only one team's going down. So it's so a lot of teams, you know, it's a bit of a, well, it's a really weird season because it's COVID season, plus there's, you know, no no fans and only one team goes down. So it's really not, you know, you probably could just, I'm, I'm, I'm criticising the league I cover, but you could probably just, you know, switch off and turn it on again in, you know, in May. And then <laughs> it'll be fine. You know, it, I, to be honest, I'm going to be honest about this the thing. I, the, fact, the no fans thing just completely throws me. And I just, I know it's silly, but, but I just find the football just so much less interesting. So I'm really desperate for the fans to come back, obviously, safely by COVID, you know, after COVID. But It's, it's a strange one because I have, I have much of the same sentiments as you have about fans not being in the stadium and it being absolutely weird. And, you know, it's been a year now almost. It's been a year. And it still feels so bloody wrong. But, you know, I, today I saw a report done by some Austrian scientists who watched a bunch of matches of, I think it was RB Salzburg, before COVID and, you know, once the ghost matches started happening. And they they said that the amount of goals increased, that there was, you know, less of what we don't like to see in terms of, you know, players getting into a row or, you know, harassing referees. And there was more actual playing time and because the audience wasn't there to push the players into doing these things. So, you know, they, in terms of what factually has happened on the pitch, even though just just looking at RB Salzburg might be a very, very small sample here. <laughs> but, um, you know, but in terms of what we want to see on the pitch, we actually see more of what we want to see on the pitch during COVID than we saw before. But it still feels wrong. Can't shake it. I think there was, there was this, uh, I will swear, but there was this great interview with, I think it was, I can't remember, this Spanish midfielder who plays for Man United. And I completely gone because I've actually sort of switched off. <laughs> um, it, 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 they asked him after after one of the games and they said, you know, what, what's it like? I thought, oh, no, I think he moved. He was, it might have been at uh, another club. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They asked him, you know, what was what, what's it like without fans? And he just said, you know, I don't want to swear, but he said, you know, it's it's, it's shit, basically. And, and it was good because he was so honest, you know, and everyone was like, it is just, it just looks, you know, wrong. Even even when Lewandowski won the, you know, the you know, not Lewandowski, you know, in Poland, it was just Lewandowski won it, not Bayern. But anyway, when when Bayern won the Champions League and you have those, all those photos and Lewandowski, obviously such an incredibly driven man, celebrating with his, uh, with, with this, you know, trophy that was like his, lover or whatever and there's it's just no one there and he's like it's it's just such a weird uh experience and I, you know 
I will start caring much more about football again when the fans come back. <laughs> Me too. Um, well, I mean, you mentioned Peta Hubala there uh, to turn back to Vizsla a little bit and Kuba. Well, I mean, we know Peta Hubala from his time at Aachen. He's uh, coached in the Dutch league as well. And, and Nijmegen, I think he coached for a little while and he was actually also the coach of Wolfsburg's uh, under-23 side Um yeah 10 12 years ago so he he has a decent background what we do know about him besides him being a coach who um, likes a lot of fitness work and who likes his players to do a lot of running is that he he's quite fond of riding his motorcycle he's, he's a fun, I mean it's weird because you know the, the images that you get through via social media are so twisted but um, but you know he's quite it's quite funny because he's now I don't know what he was like when he was at these other clubs, but he's got quite a big beard. He looks a bit messy. He's got like kind of long hair. I mean, the long hair he had before, but uh, the, the beard is new. Uh, that that might just be a COVID thing. He, he looks like he's been dumped or something. Uh, but he's got this kind of, and so there's, there's kind of some photos I've seen from from it with this, with this great training where he's uh, looked really like. Just, you know, not in the best of states. But, I mean, I think it's... Uh, obviously, people were joking, you know, like, he's taking up all this for crack of what have I done kind of thing. But I think that um, he's... he's he, you know, there was a really interesting story just recently, actually, that this was trying to sign a Luxembourg... Luxembourgese, I don't know, defender. But they did sign him called Tim Hall. And it turned out that uh, he was... Uh, his fitness levels were so bad that they um, cancelled his contract. And a lot of people were saying that's because of Hibala that you know he he's such he's such a kind of I don't know kind of you know gig impressing kind of obsessive kind of fitness person that, that that's why they 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 did that but but you know we, who knows what happened behind the scenes. Mm. So how does Kuba fit into Hubala's setup? Well uh you know it, 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 to be honest with Kuba it's all about fitness right I mean I think he's he he's had lots of little niggles And um, so he doesn't really, he's not always playing. He's in and out of the side. But when he when he's fit, he, he plays. But then obviously he's not playing all the way uh, through games. And uh, so you really have to kind of manage him. But then, you know, at the same time, he managed him in terms of the way that you, how often you play him and stuff. But, but uh, in terms of his uh, technical level, his vision, you know, he's still two or three steps ahead of most people who play in the Polish League. Although, remember, the Polish League, it's not like the Lithuanian League or something like that. It's not bad quality. But still, you know, Kuba is, 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 is a very, very top quality player who was international class. He wasn't world class, but he was international class, right? So that kind of a player is able to do stuff that uh, the average Polish League player just can't. So, you know, some really nice goals he scored. And, you know, I, I'd imagine Hibala will try to get the most... Um, out of him, but you know, I don't. I don't think you can push a thirty. I think he's thirty. Uh, thirty. He's thirty-five now. I'm not sure. Thirty-six, thirty-five. I think if you, you can push someone like that, quite to the same extent that you can put some push a, a Luxembourgese defender who is supposed to be <laughs> physically fit but isn't. You know, so um, I think that Cooper plays it plays it plays a key role in the fact that you know when he's fit he can do things that other people can't so I think it'll be important yeah, yeah I mean what what does the future hold for him and that, this is going to be my last question I mean Cooper is nearing here time end uh, do you think he's going to stay on for another season and uh, if he doesn't or 
what might Izzy maybe going into, you know, getting in, involved at Visla at a, you know, at an office job. I mean, as you mentioned, his brother is obviously the chairman. Um, so what does the future hold for Kuba? Well, I think that he's involved in a lot of charity work. Again, I'm not entirely sure what his contract situation is. I think that he can play for as long as he wants to play, really. I mean, it's it's almost like his club. <laughs> so I, I, I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, I think eventually it very well could be the end of the season. He just decides to call it a day just because, you know, if you can't, if you're, if you're always injured during and out, and I mean, I don't know if there's, there's any point in pushing it too much further. I don't know how what, what, how, how long-term he's thinking and his brother's thinking in terms of being involved with the club and how, how that's going to work going forward. I mean, Polish clubs are notoriously pretty unstable in terms of the way, financially, the way they're run. And so I think that uh, um, that isn't, uh, you know, I'm not sure how long that's going to last and how, you know, how much liquidity they really, they're really able to bring to the table. I mean, the, the good thing about Kube is that because he's such a name that he's able to bring, you know, bring other people, let's say, in who people who have less of a high profile would just would not be able to do. So I think that that's kind of a, an important thing for having someone like Kuba, you know, so famous and so important in Polish football being at, at the club. I don't know. I mean, but I haven't really seen anything about him saying that he wants to be a manager, but I can imagine he's got this kind of gravitas to him that I mean, maybe not that much charisma, but kind of gravitas that I can imagine him being a decent coach and someone who people would listen to just because of his experience in the game and and the fact that he, you know, he really does have this something more than the average player. He is Kuba. He's Kuba, exactly. Uh, and, and, and just to say, I mean, you know, because I'm pretty sure Lewandowski, when he does quit, and again, Lewandowski's in such physical, good physical shape, it might be a long time, you know, because... He, he, he looks like, you know, kind of almost Ronaldo in terms of the way that he's able to keep his body in this um, in crazy physical condition. But um, I, I can see in the future them two having a competition to be the next Polish FA. Or not the next, or the, you know, the, in 10 years' time, the, the Polish FA chairman. Because they are just such kind of huge... First, I mean, Piszczek obviously is also really... Important and also an incredible player. Piszczek is his level. I'm not sure how he's doing this year, or, or maybe I'm 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 not 100 you know up on German football. But he, he's he's a great. He's, he was able to keep his level higher than Kuba for a longer time. But I really can see and actually being quite a uh, let's say kind of tense and maybe quite bitter competition between the two of them to see who is the. Who might be the Polish FA chairman, but maybe that's complete. That's not going to happen. But it'd be interesting to see it. Well, uh, to to update you on on Piszczek, as, as we record, he has played five matches for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, all of them, uh, four of them, coming from the bench. And yeah, he's pretty much he's pretty much there for for depth, uh, for squad depth, really, and probably to provide guidance to younger players and uh, being there on the training pitch being the the top-notch professional that he is he's probably still an asset in that regard to the club and um, you know it's it's sort of a, a great season if if you want if you want to call it that at, at an age of 35 he's probably still on pretty decent wages and uh, it, could be, it could be a three-way competition between Vyshek, Kuba and Lewandowski to be the three, the Polish chairman, because I, I think all of them have just got a real, real weight in the Polish uh, game, and 
Yeah, it'd be sad when they all. And to uh, think that all of them played at the same club. Incredible. And, and, and yeah, and that was, you know, when you think about it, that's when you asked the question before about how, how Cuba was, was viewed. I think it was, for a long time, it was just, it was viewed via that, that you know, the troika of uh, Cuba, Lewandowski and uh, Piszczek all together. And, you know, people called them Polonia Dortmund and, you know, everyone was watching the games and it was so exciting. And then, you know, obviously, Levy chose Bayern. <laughs> Thanks again to Christopher Lush for joining us on Talking Foosball. You can get his takes on Polish football on Twitter, where you can follow him at RightBankWarsaw. Okay, here comes part two of Talking Foosball. Uh, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This is match day 21. Because we have so many draws to cover, there, we got another one to cover here. It's uh, uh, Bayer Leverkusen and Mainz. It's the best of the draws, though. Yeah, Bayer 04 versus Mainz 05. And, you know, despite the fact that, that five is more than four, they ended up on level terms on the weekend. You know, this was, this was, uh, this was a bit of a, a tease from Leverkusen. You know, last week they put five goals past Stuttgart, a team that most of us have a, a fair bit of time for. Uh, made us all think maybe, maybe the Leverkusen of November and December when they were just crushing people was on its way back, but, uh, they, they let us down. Not only do they allow two goals in the last five minutes of this game, but they also put in an overall performance that like coach Peter Bosch was so frustrated with that. Like after the game, he, he didn't even really want to talk about the, the sort of, you know, mistakes that led them to conceding twice in the last few minutes. He wanted to talk about how bad they were on the day. What did you make of this, this, this result? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I have to feel sorry for a fellow Nicholas, Nicholas Lomp, who got his Bundesliga debut for Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, he's, he's, he's their second choice keeper. He's obviously been stuck behind Lukas Rodecki, who's, I think, started the last 86 matches and finished all of them on the bounce, which was at that point a Bundesliga record or current Bundesliga record. Um, obviously, he got injured during, during the first half, had to go off after the first 45 and on came Nicholas Lomb to concede two really, really stupid goals. You know, the second of which was uh, came after a horrible mistake by one of the Bender twins. I think it was probably Sven. Who can say? No, can say. It's Sven. It's probably Lars. I mean, who knows? It's one of them. They're basically the same person. Genetically speaking. Um, no, but I, I think Peter Bosch is absolutely right to, to focus on the fact that Mainz were the better team. And I mean, it shows in the XG, it shows in the de- determination of Mainz. And I think this match is actually good news for Mainz because as long as Bielefeld are losing on Monday uh, against Bayern München, there's suddenly three points in reach of the relegation playoff spot. And who would have thought that when Bo Svensson took over a few weeks ago? I mean, they've taken eight points under Bo Svensson, three against RB Leipzig, one against Bayer Leverkusen. They're actually starting to punch well above their weight against certain teams. And they're taking unexpected points against better opponents, which is uh, absolutely tremendous and what they needed to do if they wanted to survive this. So they've seemingly started to turn things ever so slightly around and uh, add to that that Glatzel, uh, Robert Glatzel got his first goal, uh, their new signing striker. They needed a striker after they sold Mateta and they got in a guy who's 27 years old and who's only got second Bundesliga 2 experience 
I mean, he's had a decent record for Heidenheim in the Bundesliga 2, and he joined a side in England, or in, in Cardiff the, City, I think, yeah. in the Championship. Cardiff City, which obviously is in Wales. Yeah, they play in the English league system. Yeah. There you go. Whatever. So, not really sort of a natural choice when it comes to, you know, getting that striker that can get you results. But, you know, that now that he's off the mark, they're starting to take points unexpectedly against bigger opponents. You might look at Mainz and think, well, hang on, maybe we've doomed them a little bit too early? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I definitely see much more signs of life from them than than from Shaka, who you know we'll get to later. But since we are kind of at a juncture here, we where uh, we we can talk about um, European travels. We can probably look at that um, in, in total for a second. Leverkusen are traveling to. They, they're going to meet some young boys uh, in in Bern, which you know they are at least lucky enough to to simply go to the place where the team they're playing plays. Unlike some other teams, you know, uh, Leipzig are playing an ostensibly home game in Budapest uh, against Liverpool. Dortmund are going to Sevilla to play Sevilla. Yeah, that's straightforward. Uh, Hoffenheim, they are playing Molde in Villarreal. Is this, is this basically because, uh, you know, Molde are, are doing preseason camp in Spain or something like, What's the what's the thinking here? I mean, you you know more about what Norwegian teams are doing in February. Typically, this is not a, not a great thing for them because the, the league is not going. Yeah, I think it struck me as strange because uh, the rate of incidents in Norway haven't really been uh, that high. So why you would move it to Spain to a country that I think has a higher incident rate than both Germany and Norway sort of baffles me, really. Well, it's because it's Norway actually takes this stuff seriously. <laughs> they, they, they're like, we don't even want people from Germany coming in our country, <laughs> despite the fact that Germany's better off than Spain or England or a lot of uh, others in COVID terms. Yeah, I, it's, it's utterly befuddling and strange, yeah. And I mean, the, the reason why, why, why Leipzig have to go to, to Budapest uh, is, is because Germany doesn't allow English people into the country because of the new mutant virus, uh, the Kent virus. So it's it's all really a bit strange, and it really shows that. Um, I mean, we're all doing this for a bunch of euro bills, aren't we? I mean, there's really no point. And look at Hoffenheim, the team going to Villarreal to play against the Norwegian side, which on its face sounds absolutely absurd, and is absurd. I mean, Hoffenheim, they've had 10 COVID cases so far. And most of those COVID cases have come on international travel. Ask Ramaric, ask Jakob Brun Larsen, uh, you know, ask Robert Skov. All of these guys, would, they got COVID during international travels with their national teams or, you know, during European matches. Why are we still doing this? It's absolutely bloody beyond me. It's, you know, let, let's, let's just move on. It makes me, it makes, it makes my vein in my forehead pop. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it throbbing. Let's talk for a second about one of the other draws on the weekend. It was, uh, Falf Bay Stuttgart, uh, and, uh, Hertha BSC. This was a one, one draw. I reckon, you know, like, Mites, like some of the other teams, uh, Hertha were probably pretty cool with picking up a point. Obviously, they'd like three more than one, but you know, it's a lot better than none, which is what they've been collecting for the past, uh, four weeks. Hertha did not start in this game very well. They looked pretty much overmatched in the, the first half and, and needed a lot of good work from Rune Yashtein to keep them in it. But, uh, the second half was much better. Sammy Kadira and Luka Nets 
uh, entered the game. They ended up linking up, you know, the, the, the seasoned vets and the spring chicken, uh, for the equalizer in this one. So yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, <laughs> in that this game was sandwiched in between or, or comes just before, uh, dates with Leipzig and, uh, Wolfsburg. This is, uh, getting at least a point was very important for Hertha. It was. And, you know, a little bit of good news. Luca Nets is actually now the youngest goal scorer in Hertha's Bundesliga history. So, uh, if anything, something positive has come out of this season. Indeed, indeed. It's something positive for, you know, uh, cheap punsters in the German commentariat, considering what, the you know, Luca Nets, his last name, <laughs> happens to coincide for what's at the back of a, a football goal, you know. Nets, Martin Nets. Nets. There was a lot of puns floating around Germany. We should probably turn things over to Mr. Tigwell for uh, a bit of a bit of rescuage, right? Yeah, yeah. Earlier today, I caught up with Rhys Tigwell, and we tried our darndest to rescue Union Berlin against Schalke 04 from Oblivion. So, uh, Rhys, you've once again chosen quite some match. You're, you're, you're really a man for the tough jobs, because rescuing this one from Oblivion, Schalke against Union Berlin, nil-nil um, draw. It's going. It's going to be tough. But uh, why should we? Why should we care about this match? Was there any sort of action in the match that was worthwhile discussing? Yeah. So you're right that we try our best to discuss these so rescue these so-called lesser lesser watch games. But uh, this one is quite a difficult one to rescue. But somehow this one was was a top spiel as well. Um, believe it or not. I think Union had had a couple of really good chances to win the game. Uh, Aaron Yees is the one that most come to mind, but but he couldn't beat Fairman. Um, and Union coach as Fisher said after the game that it's just not happening for his team at the moment. They were dominant in the second half, but but they just couldn't score. And uh, Fairman himself obviously came out as well, speaking after the game, and said that his team just simply didn't create enough chances to win the game. Um, and if anyone was going to win the game, it was going to be Union. Yeah, so um, not really a great outlook there for Schalke, they who are in dire need of, need of points. Um, Schalke are on nine points. Any any chance of them staying up? Um, well, it's certainly going to be tough. I was having a look, um, and the average number of points from the, from the past five seasons for the relegation playoff has, has been 33 points. Um, so if we take that into account, they'd need some 24 points from, from 13 games, so out of the possible 39, which is an awful lot. Um, they've still got some tough games to play. They've still got to go to Stuttgart, Wolfsburg, uh, Leverkusen. They've got Mönchengladbach at home, so things don't get any easier. Um, obviously, they've got Dortmund coming up next in the Revier derby. Anything can happen in those derbies, but um, probably best to face Dortmund, actually, now, given all what's going on there. So there's no better time to face them. I think it's as good as over now, really. Um, but, but stranger things have happened in, in football. And perhaps listeners and, and those who are, are not as familiar with German football, it's it's quite hard to get across that if Schalke do go down, this is going to be absolutely huge. Although they've been down before a couple of times, it's hard to get across just how big of a club they are. Um, and they're no doubt the third biggest club in Germany. They've got almost 160,000 members, so it would be absolutely massive if they do go. Yeah, I mean, you can you can add to that that they are actually one of the four teams in the top 20 of uh turnover on the Deloitte list, one of the four German clubs on that list of the top 20 European clubs. Uh, the other 
three are obviously Bayern and Borussia Dortmund and the not so obvious choice here was actually Eintracht Frankfurt who I think came in in 17th or 18th which I, I, I found actually rather surprising uh, but okay uh, Schalke they have a massive job at their hand uh, eight wins needed basically they've brought in some new players Mustafi William Huntelaar, uh, just to name a few, Kolasinac. Uh, what what do you make of their new signing so far this season? Yeah, I think I think Mustafi uh, put in a really good performance yesterday. Actually, um, after looking out of his depth last week at, at Leipzig, um, and had it not been for Mustafi, they could have easily lost that game yesterday. And of course, Mustafi didn't have the best time in North London with Arsenal. Uh, fell out of favour with uh, Mikel Arteta. Um, and I'm sure Schalke fans will be hoping he can recapture the sort of form that we saw during his time in Spain with Valencia. As for Huntelaar, he's he's played just 10 minutes so far. He's currently out of a calf injury. Um, he's expected to return in the next few weeks. Kalasinac is is somewhat a cult hero at Schalke. Um, he's settled in again well, led by example, and, and putting a number of reliable performances. And as for William. It was his second Bundesliga start yesterday, I believe, since joining from, from Wolfsburg after falling out of favour there. And he's actually a right-back by trade, where he played when he was at Wolfsburg. But interestingly, Christian Gross has been using him more as, as a right-sided attacking midfielder, which I think was quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, many use, uses for for player, and, and sometimes a change of position could actually see a player excel if a coach has spotted an untapped potential that really hasn't been spotted by anybody else but um i think so far i think it's safe to assume that william is not going to be one of those you know diamonds that needed to be discovered by christian gross if i'm if i'm you know giving my two cents uh <laughs> on that on on that positional change uh, another player who actually surprisingly was starting for Schalke was bentaleb now bentaleb is you know the sort of boyfriend uh, that many women have had. <laughs> you know, the guy who just does something really, really crappy and you throw him out and then he returns with, a, you know, flowers. Says, you know, he has learned his lesson, he's learned his lesson and he's not <laughs> going to do the same thing again. And two months later, sure as hell, he d- lets you down once again. And, uh, you know, Christian Gross has fallen for the act. As so many women have <laughs> fallen for that act, even though they know better. <laughs> now, Dentalab, what, what do you make of him? He, he's, a, he's a terrific player at his best, isn't he? But um, what sort of message does it send to, to include a guy who has been out of the squad because of being banned from the squad on how many occasions? Five occasions now? Yeah, I think it's definitely upwards at that number now, um, at least. Um, obviously, he was suspended alongside Harit uh, for disciplinary reasons. Stambouli was given a warning around the time that Abisovic was sacked by the club after that reported training gr- uh, ground bust-up with assistant coach Naldo. Um, and as you, as you mentioned, Ben Taleb has, has been viewed by many fans and, and many at the club as, as a bad egg, really. He hasn't played him on two months. He's Yesterday, although he is a good player, he was clearly lacking the match fitness and match practice that he would need to compete at this level. Um, and it really is a bizarre state of affairs um, because it's been said that he'll leave for free at the end of the season, but here he is again back in the team. Um, and I think what it says is, is a club that's 
in desperate there's a there's an age-old saying that desperate times call for desperate measures and i think that is Schalke at the moment <laughs> yeah i mean how much more desperate can you get when you you know uh, including bentelove is certainly uh one of the most desperate moves i've seen all seasons so far well reese i think i think you did well thanks for <laughs> Coming on our show and once again rescuing what seemed to be an unrescuable match from Oblivion. Thank you. All right. Well, I I, I certainly think that uh, that 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 game emerged from Oblivion during the, the preceding segment. What I am not sure of, Nick, is if you know we in our somewhat less formal uh, segment terms can can rescue uh, Werder Bremen versus SC Freiburg from Oblivion. Should we even try? I mean, I didn't watch this. It was happening at the same time as Stuttgart Hertha. Uh, I watched the highlights, or you know what what amounts to highlights in this game. I was not terribly captivated. <laughs> Am I underselling this in, in any way, or was this a game that we should probably leave in oblivion? Uh, I, I think Tobias Escher had a lovely tweet after the match saying that uh, people who don't know anything about tactics, they call this a match for tactic lovers. It wasn't. It was crap. And yes, it, it was a dreadful match to watch. Uh, Freiburg with the best chance of the match to get a goal. Bremen with a little bit more chance production than Freiburg. Um, none of the sides really close other than that. So it's a, the, the, the nil-nil is a reasonable result for the for this match. And it's a match that should be forgotten rather sooner than later. I can only think one vital stat to mention from this match. And it's the fact that Werder Bremen only committed three fouls on their opponents this in this match. Uh, which, is, um, which is the lowest amount of fouls any team has committed this season. And I think only one team ever managed to co- commit only three fouls in a match, and that was Borussia Dortmund in, back in 2012 or something. And uh, as when we talk about fouls, actually one strange stat that I we haven't talked about so far this season, but which is worth mentioning, is that Werder actually are the most fouled team in the Bundesliga, which I found utterly befuddling, given, given how defensive-minded Werder Bremen have been playing all season long. Hmm. Maybe it's something that they're something about their attitude on the pitch. Maybe maybe the teams just uh, have it in for them. Yeah, I mean, when you see Davy Selke, you want to lunge and do that tackle, don't you? Ah, I'm thinking more Bittencore. <laughs> I mean, there are many, Nick. many, many. That's targets. who I really want to give a studs up challenge to. Let, let's be honest, there are many, many likely targets. Um, just as Martin Hintager, what he thinks about Davy Selke, and um, you get a good, you get a good just dust up, don't you? <laughs> well, I think, I think if you ask Martin Hintager about a lot of things. Okay, well, the, this actually is is the end of the action that, that happened on the weekend, but there is one game still to come, which we're not going to get a chance to cover. That is Bayern München and their game against Armenia Bielefeld. Uh, that's happening on Monday night. It of course comes hard on the heels of Bayern's um, illustrious triumph at the illustrious prestigious tournament of champions in the world in the championship venue of champions in Doha, Qatar, a 1-0 squeaker uh, against uh, Tigris uh, of of Mexico. Wasn't that uh, coming well, after Wasn't that wasn't that just yeah. world-class football by world-class yeah, was, team that uh, really is just world-class and uh, that trip to to you know a stadium that has been built by slave labor and that wasn't mentioned once by the officials, really. Um, no, instead, Bayern are actually at the mercy of states like Qatar, because obviously Qatar Airlines is one of their sponsors, and uh, if anything, Bayern have sort of taken it upon themselves to defend Qatar rather than um, stand up to them or demand any sort of change from Qatar. Or just 
you know, it, it just shows you maybe how far people like Karls Rummeniger and Uli Hoeneß are morally compromised in a sense, because, you know, Qatar is the sort of state that doesn't accept that Israel exists. It actually outlaws trades, it outlaws its citizens to do trade with Jews, simply because they're Jews. You know, why would you trade with them? Now, add to that that Bayern have a Jewish president in the history, Kurt Landauer, who was almost murdered by the Nazis, who had to flee to Switzerland, who came back from Switzerland from his exile and did a lot for this club. And you wonder, Karl-Heinz, Uli, we know those 2.2 million Rolex watches that you, you know, somehow failed to declare when you got into the country with them, Karl-Heinz. Uh, they're nice, but honestly speaking... Is, is it worth having, you know, that sort of morally compromised picture that is going to follow you all around the world whenever anybody thinks of you when you see that Qatar Airlines slogan on the sleeve and the fact that Bayern does its winter training camp in Qatar every darn year of late? It's just, it just leaves a foul stench and, and this entire tournament really, you know, traveling in that, that you know, at, uh, at this day and age of a global pandemic, it's just... Um, yeah, it it just it just doesn't doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think really, I think really, at least in the moment, maybe maybe on into the future when when the uh, the, the club World Cup or whatever becomes a, a bigger thing, if it ever does, people will look back at this as as more significant. In the moment, anyway, I think this tournament is going to be remembered for you know giving Thomas Müller. COVID-19, forcing him to fly back to Germany uh, in a hazmat suit and uh, causing a giant dust-up about COVID policy with, you know, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge saying that, uh, you know, maybe maybe Bayern players should just jump the queue and, and you know, act as role models for people that, that, the, that the, the, the vaccine is safe and, you know, creating a giant dust-up. I mean, this, as you said, even the, the fundamentals of this trip – you know, going to Qatar uh, to to sort of participate in something in, under a regime which is a, a pretty bad bunch in a lot of ways. That's bad enough. But even the specifics of how they went about this trip and and the fallout from it, it's all bad for them. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think somebody tweeted uh, right after that statement was made that uh, you know anybody from Bayern is probably the least likely to have a sort of a Vorbilds Funktion compared to just about anybody else in society. Yeah, Vorbilds and Vorbilds Funktion, by the way. We've mentioned it before on the show, but this is this is a German phrase about the the sort of position of footballers as being role models. Oh, there you go. Yeah. No, but 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 for me, you know, to to think that Bayern players should jump the queue and get the vaccine before healthcare workers and such. Yeah, it's it's not really going to do an awful lot for the trust in the vaccine. I think what's going to do, what's going to be more important is to see, for the public to see that healthcare workers uh, are going to take the vaccine and they're taking it in masses and they, that they show that they can, that they trust it. And, you know, given that if the people who work with these sort of things every day trust the vaccine, that sort of attitude is also going to spread throughout the entire public and of course you're always going to get a few idiots who are anti-vaxxers and such um 
They're entitled to their opinions. and They're also uh, entitled to the consequences, I hope. Exactly. My point exactly. And and they, you know, they are they're entitled to their opinions. And even Bayern München, even, you know, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge putting himself on a chair and getting, you know, a COVID shot by a 22-year-old nurse is not going to, you know change their minds. I, I don't think Asla Hedelman is going to be thoroughly impressed. Alright, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was uh, you know, produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Uh, really good to be you know, across the internet uh, virtual screen in presence uh, seeing your lovely face Nick Veldhagen. <laughs> yes, it's it's a long time since I last shaved, but um, I'm, I'm not as well trimmed as you are, but um, I'm I'm surprised to hear that it wasn't all that bad seeing me for for an entire hour or so, but um, <laughs> I tried to do better. I, next I've, week. I've had worse. I've had worse. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm sure you have. Uh, you can follow Nick, of course, uh, on on Twitter at Nor Musings. Uh, you can also hear him uh, doing his his you know extensive contributions to our Patreon page, which you heard about earlier in the show. There's much much more there. There's a you know historic match day moments series. We're going to have deep dives on uh, Hanover '96 and a couple of other teams coming up soon, uh, and it's all there for just a few dollars, a few euros, a few quid, whatever way you want to pay. It is there waiting for you. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can hit us up at Talking Foosball on Twitter. I, of course, am at Mr. Matt Herman. We would love it if you subscribe to this pod, if you rated it positively. And if you know you talked us up uh, to your friends, both virtual and actual, who are interested in German football. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.